Hi friends, welcome to Everything Speaks If You Listen with Jen Cobbleworks. I'm your host, Jen Cobblewilhoit, and I want to just tell you at the top of this episode, the theme this week is homecoming, and we touch on several different stories, including um, Persephone and Demeter when we talk about homecoming. And when I touch on that story, there is reference to possible bodily harm and sexual violence. I don't go into detail on this. It is mentioned only in broad brushstrokes for a larger context. But we also talk about throughout this episode how hard it can be to come home because oftentimes that journey back to ourselves or back to places that we used to feel connected to involve stories of rupture or separation, feelings of rejection or exile. I believe that this episode is held in hope and respect and love. But I also know as someone who's experienced my own pain and challenge and suffering in life, that even when things are held in hope and in love, it doesn't mean that that's what I want or need to be listening to at the time. So go gently into this episode. Know that I travel gently in it as well. I hope you find resonance and a real sense of of joy in listening to this. But I don't feel like it would be right for me to have you listen deep into the episode and come across these themes in a way that may feel surprising or just hurtful to you. Trust your own heart and your own journey always. Thanks. One more quick thing. In this episode, I've mentioned Lord of the Rings And I keep saying Bilbo, and I mean Frodo. And I have no excuse for this, except that sometimes I'm a forgetful donkus, and I just mix names and letters and numbers backwards and forwards, and they just get cattywampus in my head. So, yeah, definitely my family will be listening to this going, Bilbo, it's Frodo, and maybe you're going to say that too and just... Thanks for forgiving me about it, because I just made a mistake, that's all. Off to the episode. Hello, friends, seekers, fellow journeyers. Welcome to number 16. Our theme is homecoming this week. Before we look into that, I want to tell you and invite you again to the mid-year illustrated reflection journal that I have. It is themed around the summer solstice because personally, I cannot believe we are six months into 2023. It's boggling my mind and I don't know if that's just because I am old or if that's because the world is moving so fast that time and space really are feeling particularly warped. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, but 
I kind of can't wrap my head around the fact that six months in 2023 has already passed. And it got me thinking that, you know, on the solstice, it appears on planet Earth like the sun is just hanging out above our head for a hot minute. It seems like the sun has just paused. That's what the whole word solstice means. Sun stands still. And I thought this is a great time, right, for nature to let us learn something about our own nature, to take the invitation from the sun to pause and let ourselves pause and look back and look within. And I did a whole illustrated reflection journal on it for the first six months of the year. So that is available. It comes with some audio lessons and insights too around the solstice. This particular journal is set up a little bit different than my annual reflection journal is set up. It's around themes of light and heat and shadow. Um, It's focused on joy and celebration and honoring what has been and what is before we start to move ahead. If you really like that annual journal, I think you'll love this one. If you like to dive into your own spiritual quest and experiences and journey with themes of nature and seasons and cycles, I think you will really, really enjoy this mini course, this this journal. So it's $30. I'm putting the link in the show notes. If you use coupon code shine on, which I'll also put in the show notes, you get 20% off. So it makes it about $24 and it comes out, um, around the 19th. So you'll have everything available to you. Oh, and I've, I'm including in this a, um, a folktale that I actually wrote and performed last year. It's on a theme of wild spirit and yeah, we can talk more about that another time, but I think you'll like that too. It's, it's a, it's a type of writing and reflection I haven't done in a very long time. And it was really exciting. And I think it dovetails nicely with, um, the heat and the fire and the warmth and the reflection and the illumination of the sun and this journal. Okay. Homecoming. So I was chatting with a friend recently and there was this natural pause that happened in our conversation. You know how it is when you're chatting with somebody and uh, you go through different depths of your conversation. There's some banter. There's a little reporting that gets done. How's your day? What's been going on with you? A little bit of catch up. And then suddenly things get sometimes a little bit deeper. I mean, Side note, this is why I love the examine practice, right? Because it follows the exact same rhythm of how we have rapport and relationship and get to know each other. Um, Yeah, I just think that's so cool. But anyway, it was in that moment with a friend where we had been chatting and catching up and then things settled in and we were both sharing just some of how it was with our soul, how it was down deep inside of us. And this person said to me, I feel like I'm far away from who I used to be. And I miss 
who I used to be, and I don't know how to get back to them. And we just sat for a while, kind of letting that live between us and in us. Because I had a similar feeling and have had a similar feeling. I recently connected with a different friend who I haven't seen in years. And it was so natural and so wonderful and so awesome to spend time with this person again. When I was driving back away from the coast towards the valley where I live, going over, we, we, we call it going over the hill or going back over the hill. I'm passing the redwoods and the pines. The salt air is starting to smell like eucalyptus and pine air. And then it's starting to just smell a little bit more like concrete <laughs> and like metal and more of more of that Bay Area city type feeling um, as I got closer to home. And I kept thinking, why did I let so much time go since I had seen this person? And there are other people too. Why, why did I let those relationships get a little bit estranged? And I'm so glad that I had a long journey home because there were many answers. Some of it was our context changed. Um, some of, you know, I had moved, they had moved, we're, we're back. Our locations had changed. We had different life experiences going on. But there was another layer to that that, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit about. Um, but I'm going to say this because, well, I don't think I'm the only one who experiences this. And I'm saying this because I really value sincerity. And... This is part of the whole theme that I want to talk about. And sometimes in order to create connection and talk about tough things, we have to dive into stuff that feels uncomfortable or awkward or a little embarrassing. I think sometimes I have walked away from some relationships and some opportunities too in life because I've just decided in advance that um, I'm just no good or I'm not good enough, or maybe people just wouldn't like me. Like, I just kind of decide that the opportunity probably just won't work out, or I won't be good enough to live into it. And so I start to isolate. I think maybe what I'm feeling in those moments is already a sense of isolation, maybe from myself, like what my first friend was talking about, like she's missing something and she wants to get back to it. I think at different times in my life, I have been missing parts of myself and I haven't known how to go back and find them or reclaim them. I don't even know exactly how to begin to unearth them or recover them. Because so many things have changed, I sometimes wonder, maybe that part of me is really gone forever. Certainly there are instances like that. We grow in ways where 
there isn't always an opportunity to go back and reclaim or reconnect some part of ourselves from the past. But other times there are. And I wish that I hadn't made some decisions about how I just wasn't good enough or how maybe people just wouldn't really like me when I made the decision to kind of walk away from opportunities, from possibilities, from people, from whole chapters. I wish I had had more faith in myself and in those relationships, maybe more faith in spirit too, that I had a right to take up space, that this relationship had a right to grow and to cultivate. I don't know that this is the case in every single thing that has faded in my life, but it did make me think a lot this week about what does it mean to go back home, to go back to ourselves, to go back and find something of ourselves in the past and in our own way, zoom through time and pick up those pieces of ourselves to go back and rekindle old relationships and connections, maybe even possibilities and opportunities to go back to school, for example, to call the friend that you haven't seen for a while, to try again for the dream that maybe you had given up on, to, um, to just locate memories and aspects of your being and integrate them, bring them forward, invite them into your day-to-day life. It's just been, all of this stuff has kind of been on my mind. You know, in contemplation and in reflection, um, I think in poetry too, certainly in storytelling, we talk a lot about this concept of coming home to oneself. And I even put it on some of my decks of cards. You know, I definitely see the examine as a spiritual practice that helps us come home to ourselves. But what does that really even mean? It, I'll tell you, I don't think it is a one and done kind of thing. It's not like a, honey, I'm home. And then that's that. Like, hey, I, I did this reflection practice once. And you know what? I am... fully integrated now. Yep. I am just from stem to stern, completely interconnected and healed and resonating with myself and with spirit. Shazam. No, I don't think it really happens like that. Although if it did, could be super cool. I think when we say we're coming home to ourself, it means we are recognizing that in some way, we're always in pieces and i i don't i don't really mean that in in some bad pejorative sense i mean there seems to be something of what it means to be human that wanders and explores and endeavors and tries you know we go to work, we go to meetings, we go to school, we go out to dinner, we go on the hiking trail, we go to events, we go to amusement parks, we go to movie theaters, we go to reunions, we go out and we venture. But there's always some part of us, and I don't mean that it necessarily stays home and is physically separated from us, although 
how cool would it be to really think about like whether our soul astrally projects and walks around where our body is somewhere else. I mean, that could be a fun combo. Not today though. I think that there's some other aspect of ourselves and I think our body kind of represents this in some ways, but there's some aspects of ourselves that is always abiding. It's always stayed. It's always steadfast. We talk about spirit being this way too. Spirit embodied, but spirit also steadfast, spirit tenacious, spirit present, spirit omnipresent, spirit perpetually available to us, spirit not failing to show up. So we have, we have something of our humanity like this too. And um, it's a sanctuary space for each of us. We have with us this home base, this home plate, this um, sacred center, this home that we can always return to, a place that is always going to accept us, is always going to recognize us, is always going to welcome us. Now, just real quick pause here again. I don't know about you, but I have a highly developed inner critic. Oh my good Lord, she is something else. So is it always super fun to be like me or be in, you know, (laughs) is it always easy to be a human being? We're just completely accepting and loving and tolerating and of ourselves. Uh, No, I, I realize that we are universes and we contain multitudes. But the fact is, there is, I think, a built in kind of eternal home within us, a sanctuary that is always welcoming us. Now, you probably know me well enough to know that I believe that this place is a piece of spirit, an expression of spirit. I believe this part of us is 100% human and 100% divine. This is why I call it sacred. Um, So it feels like when we're talking about homecoming, what we're acknowledging is that there is an aspect of us that ventures and there is always an act of an aspect of us that is at home ready to welcome the parts of us that go out that go forth that try and that need to return home and be welcomed and affirmed and listened to the folktale that i mention in the summer solstice course talks a lot about this as it relates to humanity and spirit having this constant indwelling and also this these traveling shoes but coming home in the real sense to a real place going back to the past going back to relationships going back to aspects of ourselves it's not always an easy beautiful hallmark kind of moment I got to thinking, like, how many stories do we really have of reintegration, of um, return? In fact, so I started thinking about this so much that I was wondering, I, I was listening to stories and thinking through folk tales and, and 
observing, at least in my limited experiences, that we end a lot of things with this, with these phrases like, and they lived happily ever after, or, and all was well, and to all a good night. (laughs) It's just like, they're back, we're back, the end, it's all okay. But in real life, the journey home, and I mean this spiritually and mentally and emotionally, like coming back to a place of sanctuary internally, coming back to a sense of self where we're recognizable and accepted and loved when we have been experiencing um, struggle or self-doubt or things outside of us, challenge, um, bullying, uh, just bad news, like coming home to a place internally that feels safe and safe and accepting and loving is no small, it's no small journey. It's no joke. Doing something like the examine or meditation, taking even deep breaths, th- these are practices that do center us and they can bring us home, but they aren't exactly like a laugh a minute right? It's it's not like, hey, I'm on the verge of a panic attack and stuff is really chapping me right and left out here in the universe, but no problem. I'll just take a few simple deep breaths and center myself on the sacred and I'll be just fine. Like, that isn't how it goes for most of us. We struggle to come back to our internal sanctuary to that place where we're accepted and recognized and held always. And coming back to a real home, if we have been away for a long time or we've been experiencing some kind of separation because of social exile, maybe people have said, I don't want you around anymore. There are painful separations we experience in life, many of them so unfair that we never asked for. Maybe some of them are things that we are, we co-authored. But the adventure of living is not just a joyful walk in the park. It's not a 90-minute film with an awesome soundtrack and a montage where we go from zero to hero. I mean, I kind of wish it would, and I do have thoughts on what my soundtrack and montage music would be, but that's just not how it goes. We get sick. We get in arguments. Our circumstances change for a million reasons. And you know, I'm not going to start putting all this stuff on a moral scale of good and bad. We don't need any more moral scales. Stuff happens. And it's hard for us to get home physically and spiritually. It's hard to find our way back to people and to places and ourselves and even sometimes spirit to where we feel like we are, we belong And we're loved and we're held in acknowledgement of the, of the struggle, but also against it and protected from it for a period of time. This journey home is no joke, no easy thing.
and at the risk of, you know, not wanting to make this the most depressing podcast ever, I got to thinking about what stories are out there where we do see somebody go home and what does that journey look like for them? So the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, in the Western world, we do credit them for so many ideas. They had this term for what it meant for an epic hero to come home, especially especially if that journey home was across a body of water. That term is nostos. Obviously, we're thinking of of Odysseus here, right? There's a whole book on this guy. His journey home is just chapters and chapters of so many soul growth experiences. I I really want to pretend that the, that I am still back in school and like give myself an assignment as if I am my own professor and see if I can like force myself to write a paper and do some research on what are the nature, what is the nature of all of the different adventures that, that, that Odysseus goes through in the Odyssey? You know, does he have like, um, uh, physical challenges? I mean, I've read the book, I'm sure you have too, but you know, what are the symbolic chapters and symbolic things that he goes through? What are all the various flavors of hoops that he has to jump through. I think that would be fascinating to explore more deeply. I'm going to see if I can fake myself out and assign myself this task and actually follow through with it. Likely I'll just be like, why am I doing this much work when I don't actually have to? And then I'll probably like turn on Netflix and chip out or something. But anyway, he is clearly struggling (laughs) with severe, what we would call PTSD now even though he is a war hero, uh, a war criminal, so many ways to look at Odysseus, his trip home warrants an adventure and an epic tale almost as big as the stuff that he went out to go do when he left home in the first place. It makes me wonder, you know, he traveled by sea for the most part to get home. So we have, that's where this nostos, this this crossing the threshold from being out in the world to going back to an internal world and going back to a world that is insular, a landscape and a place that is, you know, the small town, the welcoming city, the, the, the known streets. Nostos is talking about that inward and that outward journey to the known land. And it has this conveyance of water associated with it. I mean, what would it mean for us to talk about homecoming with a different element? Like, would we call it something around a pyre? If we were talking about coming home via fire? Would we call it the ether or Gaia if we're talking about coming home through air or earth? How would we describe journeys like this? I don't know, something else to kind of think about. But I do think it's interesting that one of the biggest stories we have, at least in the West, about somebody coming home to themselves to see if anything that they of themselves remain. Is he the same person after all of this? Can he reclaim anything 
of his old life, will it fit him anymore? Or will it all be as if for a different person who no longer exists? Will his country accept him? His family? Will his the animals and the land itself seem familiar to him? The seasons, the foods, the language? He was gone a long time. How much of himself remains when he goes back? Not just on the ship, but remained left. How much sanctuary self stayed around for him to reconnect with when he lands? It's, it doesn't look really good for him, to be honest, in this story. And it is a heartbreaking tale when you think about, can you ever go home again? Homer kind of is like, well, you can, but it won't be good. (laughs) It's kind of a glasses half empty approach about what it means to come home when we look at Odysseus. I think about um, Bilbo and the Hobbits too in Lord of the Rings. Like, don't let the movies fool you. Go back and look at the books. There's hundreds of pages of them coming home. They come home and the Shire doesn't recognize them. Really, they are greatly transformed, but there is still effort, even a battle that has to happen at home before home feels like home. And then there are parts of home that can never be reconciled. Of the four of them, one, Bilbo, eventually has to leave for greater healing. There is nothing left of him in the Shire that can hold him and help him long term. And there's something bittersweet about that, too. I think also, I mean, I know we're past Easter. Okay, small pause for dog yelps and barks. Um, I guess I don't like this theme. Anyway, I know we're way past Easter, but it got me thinking about how Jesus comes home, right? He, the, the stories and... I know not everybody listening is rooted in Christian tradition or um, finds any connection to it at all or anymore. But just from a story aspect, the story is, you know, his, his physical body perishes and then his physical body is reawakened. His soul is joined with it again. He comes back to, to life And he is walking the very same streets around the very same people that he just experienced his life being snuffed out at. He is not, however, walking around with a chip on his shoulder. He's not seeking vengeance. And he's not trembling still in the tomb. So he's able to come home. There had to have been some kind of journey in that epic, ancient, three-day, three-night window, that symbolic archetypal window there. There had to have been something that let him grieve and be lost 
and then be knit together and put back together so that when he was coming home and with his friends and his community again, he was still scarred from the events, but not living from that place of scar and trauma, living truly from another place of life. I've always wished there was more we could hear or imagine into what that journey was like. How, how did he get to a place of so much healing that he could really re-enter the world and his home with love and connection and compassion? I, I definitely am not there yet myself. <laughs> I think of Buddha, right? Whose homecoming in some ways was that he left his physical home to go search out the home and the reality of others. But he doesn't really return to his earthly life He just moves on in a state of enlightenment. So I'm not sure. And if you, I am absolutely positive that folks who are listening to this know way more about the story of the Buddha than I do. So please um, point me to more resources and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. But my understanding is that he doesn't return home to the palace. He is moving forward, so to speak, and we don't have a real tale of his homecoming. I think of Persephone. I think this is the story that makes me relate the most to my own experience of homecoming of returning to my own sense of self and returning to old relationships, old landscapes, old places when when it's possible. I adore this story. I hope we spend so much more time with it. It is a story that talks about the seasons and why and how they exist. There is debate. You'll hear people say there's a pre-Hellenic version and a post-Hellenic version. In my research and study on this, my understanding is that that's not exactly the case. Just like with so many stories and myths and and tales, they get told by different people and get shared in different ways and different cultural lenses and different times in history give them different kinds of meaning. So I will tell you this, that... In case you've forgotten the story, she is the daughter of Demeter. Demeter being, we can think of as as Earth herself, the sacred kind of energetic force that lets the Earth produce trees and flowers and fruits. It's the blossoming and generative creative force of food and fruitfulness and and wood from trees all the sheltering and feeding properties that earth provides 
to humans and other living beings, animals. Demeter in the story, she is the primary author and engine and force of this. And she is greatly in love with her daughter, Persephone. They're peas in a pod. They are so much alike. You can imagine that she's going to, you know, maybe be teaching Persephone all of the rhythms and cycles of nature and how it is that this earth generates and decays and generates again. So there's this pantheon of gods in the Greek stories. We all know that. And the gods get together, Zeus in particular, behind Demeter's back and says to his brother Hades, who's king of the underworld, hey, do you want to get married? You should marry Persephone. Now, here's a little note around feminism and modern interpretations and everything else. It's at this point in the story that modern storytellers will tell you that Persephone was taken against her will. There are implications of bodily harm, of sexual trauma. There are implications of domination. I do not want to dispute those or make this a particular tipping point in the story. I just want to recognize that those are all valid interpretations. And also, right alongside this, the culture at the time for ancient Greece was that women's fates were decided through marriage behind their back without their consent, and this was considered not violent. So I think doing anything without someone's consent, we could make a reasonable argument, has some inherent... um, violence to it because yeah you're just pushing someone's will completely out of the picture but one way or another Persephone was taken by Hades either without her consent but respectfully or without her consent is that even possible without your consent but respectfully we'll unpack that another time it was without physical harm she was removed from her mother and the earth she knew to go live with Hades or perhaps with physical harm she was. Bottom line, it also happened without the consent or knowledge of her mother. And so when Hades takes Persephone away into the underworld, and we could spend so much time talking about, like, what if we think of this story with her consent? And what if he was just like the fun person that mom never would have approved of? An interesting thing to consider, but not again, again, not this podcast. I'm digressing. She gets down to the underworld, right? And probably no sense of home there. Nothing feels familiar. Probably very frightened. Demeter is on the surface, she is losing her mind, understandably. She is, her body is falling apart from rage and grief and fear and worry. She will tear those gods from stem to stern and sunder the earth to get her child back. Completely, I think we can understand the intense feelings that Demeter would be having. Long story short, eventually... Persephone gets back to the surface world. 
She eats some seeds. There gets to be this symbolism. We have this whole nature tale at the very end of all of this that's basically like for the time that she's down with Hades every year, the earth is increasingly barren and then fallow and barren. And then when she returns, it's increasingly abundant, generative, and creative. That's spring and summer. So we have this way of explaining how the surface world is directly correlated to grief, to separation, and to things that happen below the surface. So many cool things to unpack with that. But I think of Persephone because it is a story about cycles, about seasons. It's about her every year going back under the surface of things, going back into the dominion of shadow, the dominion of darkness, the dominion of cradled earth where seeds do exist. Seeds that do offer us freedom and keys to escape and new life and all kinds of things like that. So she goes back under and then she comes to the surface and then back under and then to the surface. Her story is one of cycles, perpetual cycles. And I have always wondered what it in the story, what it must be like for her to finally come home every time to finally come home and not recognize anything around her, including her mother. To not recognize the land, to not recognize the season, to not recognize the woman she had spent her whole life with. And then to realize that after she had taken this brave journey back home, to make that home look and feel like anything recognizable again, to make it even inhabitable again, she was going to have to get to work in some capacity. She was going to have to reconnect with her mother. They were going to have to work through their grief and their loss. They were going to have to work out those complicated feelings of, I thought you were gone forever and here you are and I can't believe it. I can't believe you're here. They're going to have to work through their disbelief, work through their belief that they're actually together again. All of the earth that had become dried and desiccated and empty is going to have to be replenished with their tears, with water that gets flowing again, with a whole cloud system. There will be seed planting. How many seeds did Persephone bring with her from the underworld? We don't know. Perhaps enough every year to reseed the surface. Could it be that every year she goes under and goes away and comes home with a fistful, with pockets full of seeds. I wonder about this because this is the story that feels like the experience of coming home to myself and to old relationships, to old possibilities, to old opportunities. This is the one that makes the most sense to me. I'll, I'll be blunt. The story of Jesus and Buddha, those are the stories I kind of aim for. 
I long to be able to come home to myself or come home to another place or landscape or group of people, maybe where I experienced challenge and, challenge and harm and be truly at peace with suffering and my suffering and live my life from a place of love. That model from both the Buddha and from Jesus are like, I mean, that that's hashtag life goals right there. I want that kind of connection with life and love that I could live from that place and have a sense of not just homecoming, but new beginning from that deep wellspring of love. But I'm not there. I'm not there yet. My homecoming is not quite as awful as Odysseus's, but there have been chapters that have been. So I see Odysseus off and my heart breaks because I recognize homecomings like that. But, and I look at, yeah, Bilbo too. And the rest of the hobbits, my heart breaks there for things that I know I can't return to. But Persephone, she has something that I think I could grow into. There's something of coming home that involves not just getting to know myself again, or not just getting to know a friend again, or not just getting to know a place or a landscape again, but bringing something of seeds from the exiled place with me, bringing a sense of new beginning, a sense of connection, a sense of camaraderie to forge again the relationship, a willingness to be open and be present again. And there's some that there's that word again. Persephone does this. She comes home and creates home after she comes home again and again and again. Again, she befriends her mother. Again, she befriends the the barren earth. Again, she plants seeds and helps to cultivate and grow and generate. Again, she does this. And that's how coming home to oneself spiritually feels like in my experience too. We end a day, we end a chapter in our lives, and we're not the same as when we first started. But we do have a sanctuary waiting for us. It is ourselves. It is spirit. There is always a perpetual place held for us and by us and with us. A, a kind of vessel that we can come back to. But when we do, we have to befriend and get to know ourselves and the place, perhaps, anew, every time. I think that this kind of creates a friendship, actually, a bridge between perhaps our old self and our newly transformed self. I think this actually creates maybe a continuum that connects all of ourselves 
together into our own unique universe or family. There's parts of me in my 20s when I first worked at this place where I knew my friend a long time ago. There's parts of me that aren't the same and I don't want to bring that old Jennifer back. She has grown and I'm grateful for that. But I can, in befriending my friend again, and in grieving that I let so much time pass, I can honor how I've grown and how she has grown. And we can also acknowledge and let go of aspects of ourselves that just don't need to exist in the same way anymore. And we can get to know each other again. And I also think we get to go back and pick up pieces that we never meant to leave behind and bring them forward if we want. I had forgotten until I talked with my friend how much creative work I used to do of without any care for it to ever be a business or work. It was just art for the sake of art, for the sake of joy. The silliness, the movies, the outings, the travel. I had forgotten the easy laughter. That person in her 20s is still a part of me and I want to befriend her and get to know her and integrate her and make sure she's present in my 51-year-old self. I do not want to leave her in my underworld or leave her behind. You guys, I I just always intend to be hopeful and upbeat when I do these podcasts. And I really worry that I am just the biggest downer. Um, I had such a wonderful appointment with this new astrologer that I met. And I it was a kind of a birthday gift I gave myself to meet with this person who I, I keep hearing their name. And I thought, this this person is outside of a tradition that I'm familiar with, but their soul language sounds like it kind of could vibe with my soul language. And so I would love to hear their insights from their tradition. I gifted myself this appointment and it was so wonderful. It was such a lovely experience but they said to me in this appointment you know you are you are somebody who who sees the light and the shadow and who is invited to share about that if you want so I'm that resonated with me and I guess that's what I'm doing here again this week I'm just wanting to point out that it's not easy going home not easy at all. It's no joke. We don't always know what we're returning to or if we want to stay when we get back. Getting there is, it's a pilgrimage unto itself. I think we need more stories about what it means. I think we need more than, and everything lived happily ever after. I think we need more than that. 
I think we need more wondering and curiosity about Persephone, about Jesus, about Buddha. I think we need more curiosity about Odysseus and Bilbo and who else is out there? What are these other stories? Because we're all, we're all experiencing separation in life. That happens. And we are also all yearning for and searching for and experiencing connection and reconnection. For me, it's, it feels good to not beat around the bush and say that once you got done with the quest or the quote unquote hard thing, the coming home part is just easy peasy. I, I just have never experienced that it is easy peasy, but if maybe acknowledging that it's an adventure all its own and that it's a, a befriending that takes time and a relationship and a rapport that we do over and over and over again, then, then maybe I won't have such a high standard for what it means to forgive myself for time lost and to be willing to reach out for time that is still present, for connections that are still wanting to be nurtured and cultivated and grown. I wonder if it's the same way with you. I wonder if this feels okay to you to recognize the hardship of homecoming, but the possibility of it too especially when we think we get so when we consider we get so many chances and opportunities to do it we don't have to do it perfectly we get to just enter into relationship and friendship with the process and consider it its own adventure its own pilgrimage its own heroine's path that feels good in my bones and my soul and I hope it does for you too. For all of the places you are journeying this week, friends, internally, externally, for all that you are meeting internally and externally, for all that you may be longing to come home to internally and externally, I hope you feel a sense of sanctuary with you at all times through yourself and through spirit. I hope you feel a keen sense of friendship, a presence that abides with you, a sense that you are welcome at the fires of life. Take your shoes off, settle in, know that you are loved for just who you are and welcomed and respected for whatever experiences you have had in the venturing out and the coming home. I give you my love and hope. And uh, that's it. Because now I got myself a little worked up and emotional. <laughs> Take good care, friends. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining me on today's podcast of Everything Speaks If You Listen. I really appreciate your time, your energy, your engagement. And if you liked or loved this podcast, it would mean a lot if you could rate it for me, give it the old five-star review or the thumbs up or whatever your application asks you to do to say, I like it. And then if you could share it 
with a friend or family member that you think might vibe with it also, that would be great. I deeply appreciate the care towards the admin part of this kind of stuff in relationship, as well as you just tuning in. If you'd like to know more about me and my work, there are links in the show notes. You can visit me at jencobbleworks.com. Hang out and talk to me on Instagram at cobbleworks or sign up for my newsletter where there are some stories and free comics and art and self-reflection worksheets given every month and lots of fun, deep email exchanges between me and you if you enjoy that. Thanks, friends. Take care.